My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. Now, folks, thanks to contentious colloquy on a delicate subject, America is a house divided. Left versus right versus doctor versus lawyer versus ACL Jew. To what do I explicitly refer? I allude, dear listeners, to the subject of, well, this being a family broadcast, I'll stray from the clinical and employ the idiomatic. I'll simply use the shibboleth, quote, turning a lady who's in the family way into someone who is no longer that way, unquote. You know what I'm saying? Sure, you get the gist. Now, on the one side of this issue are the misguided liberals who believe that fruitful females, once on the path to motherhood, should be given the choice of a detour so what should have been straight road turns into a cul-de-sac. And on the other side, there's the well-considered conservatives who very reasonably believe that once on the highway, the off-ramp is closed. That nature must take its course. Circumstances, preferences, and predilections be darned. Now here's the rub. The liberal gals, who are of the former illogical frame of mind, are kicking up a fuss over who will decide the fate of Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade. Now, I don't know what kind of a given name Roe is, but this Mrs. Wade, whoever she was, sure caused a peck of trouble, sparking a decision by the highest court in the land that surely wrought tears from the baby Jesus. And now that that selfsame court is on the cusp of getting its mind right and jettisoning old Roe the left wing is fretting that the decision will ultimately rest in the hands of not women, but men. Men that males will determine whether passion's byproduct, licit or illicit, may be terminated. Well, to that I say, who better to decide the issue than a man? For only a man, only a man, is blessed with the objectivity this volatile matter demands. I shall explain. You see, she who must bear offspring will contrive any number of excuses to reject God's beneficence, all of them subjective, none of them truly rational. She'll say, for instance, I'll get stretchy marks, or I'm not ready for the responsibility. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that first reason smacks of vanity, and the second of sloth. Two of the seven deadly sins. And then there's the old favorite, fear of pain. Well, sir, such cowardice is not a deadly sin, but it is a trait to be discouraged in either gender, male or dainty female. And so it is the man, bearing no derivative of the carnal encounter, who alone can adjudicate the validity of Roe v. Wade. Thank ye God and Donald for Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Yes, sir. Now, the next topic I wish to pursue again regards the neonate, or more specifically, the proud progenitors of said newborn, newly minted parents who, in their matrio-patriarchal zeal, display photographs of their pride and joy whenever the opportunity presents. And believe me, the opportunity presents under any contingency. 
One might simply be promenading down Main Street, Truvo, Mississippi, and up comes, say, Roger St. Reeves. Hello, Roger, you say. I trust we're in for a bit of rain. To which new Daddy Roger replies, This will be baby's first rain. The first time that she will hear the downpour pounding against the windows, I dearly pray she is not affrighted by the torrent. And oh, have I shown you the latest snaps of our darling offspring? At which time he will display, either on cellular telephone or wallet-encased photographic print, baby's likeness. It is a ritual, and to participate, one is expected upon presentation of said image to extol the progeny's singular beauty. But here's the rub, dear listeners. Farmers such as I are reflexively honest, for we perform voracious labor and so are suffused with the light of truth. What then are we to do when confronted with an infant who is, to put it delicately, not cosmetically appealing, i.e., a baby who is plug-ugly? They do exist, these unattractive tykes, and are in fact more common than one might expect. Pinched and red little things with oddly shaped heads, they are, to Mama and Daddy, a sign assure of physical wonder, and to the rest of us, the stuff of dark nightmares. How then to respond to such horror? Should I, a dedicated man of the plow, respected for his candor and esteemed for his veracity, abnegate all obligation to the truth? Or should I, like Fortunato, venture upon insult, kindling daddy's animosity by contending that baby's appearance is incommensurate with current archetypes of beauty? Well, sir, I tell you now that Farmer Gray does neither. That's right. I choose neither to dissemble nor to offend. I instead embrace that wonderful balm of the conflicted soul known as tact. Faced with a seemingly intractable circumstance, I am tactful in approach and deliberative in reply. I simply gaze upon the unfortunate infant's photograph, smile kindly, and taking a leaf from modern technology, ask, Was this image digitally manipulated? No, proud daddy will say, puffing out his chest at the perceived compliment. That is 100% all natural. No tricks, filters, or photographic tomfoolery involved. Well, I'll reply, I wouldn't have credited it, because I never realized anything in nature could look this way. And Papa will slap me on the back, offer a cigar, and continue down the street, convinced that Farmer Gray himself marveled at baby's stunning aspect. Yes, sir. Today, I'd like to apprise you of a shocking statistic, one that was brought to my attention when, quite inadvertently, I tuned the radio dial in my truck to NPR. That's National Public Radio to the uninitiated, and, like all things socialist, a veritable morass of liberal thinking. But like I said, it was an accident. I was hoping to come across some Charlie Pride or Jimmy Rogers or some other fine Mississippi musicians, but as I was skipping past NPR, with all alacrity, I might add, the little knob came off in my hand. And so it was I could advance the dial no further, leaving my right-wing ears hostage to left-wing bombast, all proffered in passive tones by broadcasters in thrall to the Democrat Party. 
Still, I endured it, for the sky was growing dark, and it would have been imprudent to pull off the narrow dirt road I was navigating just to restore the radio knob. So I merely hummed to myself to block out the propaganda, hummed, God bless America, and Copperhead wrote, and whatever I could think of. But I was just reaching the bridge of Hank Williams' Colliga when out pops a fact from the radio that bumfuzzled me something proper. The announcer says, he says, that in the United States of America, right in our beloved union, 1,000 babies a year have, well, I have no choice, ladies and gentlemen, but to say the word, 1,000 babies a year have syphilis. That's right. You heard correctly, syphilis. Now, I am not easily disquieted, but I freely confess this news left me beat, baffled, and bewildered, not to mention dumbfounded, and I have been cogitating over it ever since. Still, I cannot wrap my mind around it. So my question to you, dear listeners, is this. Who is allowing all of these infants to have sexual congress and, worse, intimate relations with shady partners, fallen women and dissolute men carrying the plague of syphilis? Are these recalcitrant babies defying mama's counsel and seeking out partners of ill repute? Or did mother, in a fit of overindulgence, sanction babies' misguided behavior or, indeed, encourage it? I do not know, but I say that it would surely behoove Mama and Daddy to put down Dr. Spock and pick up the Holy Bible for child-rearing guidance. Yes, sir. New topic, which I would like to commence with a reassurance. Reassurance that I am a man who dearly loves and has never been less than faithful to his wife, Elspeth. Though, as I have acknowledged in the past, she spends her time these past three years ensconced in the storm cellar, hiding from what she believes to be an imminent attack from North Korea, my adoration for this woman, loving in spirit and perhaps overly cautious in nature, has diminished not one iota since the day we were wed. So it is that I tell you that my most intimate of conjugal feelings extend to no other woman on earth. No, indeed. And it is with that sincere confession in mind I tell you this. I say that it is imperative that women of childbearing age who are not in a family way, I say who do not have the seed sprung from the natural course of holy matrimony growing inside of them, it is imperative that these women do not gain excessively in weight that they remain flat of belly in the absence of impending motherhood. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, Farmer Gray, you have designs on other women and wish for them to be thin in order to feed some base desires harbored in your darkest of hearts. Well, to that I say, no, sir, that is not my intent. I aspire to no panoply of sirens from which I might select to fulfill some carnal agenda. Why then do I propose this war on Avoir du Bois? Let me explain. This very morning, I drove the pickup to Zaire County to look at a lightly used disc to replace the well-used one I currently employ. 
The seller was one Mrs. Naomi Lou Parsons, whose brave husband, Parker Lee Parsons, had recently been deployed through his National Guard unit to serve a tour overseas. So I arrive at Mrs. Parsons' door and politely knock upon the neat oaken egress to announce my presence. There was a doorbell, mind you, but I always knock, for it is more direct and manly to knock, to rap knuckle upon wood. Well, the dear woman heard me, sure enough, and straight away opened the door, greeting me most affably. Good morning, Mr. Gray, says she. Hear about the disc harrow, are you? Yes, ma'am, says I. I wish to examine said item, if I may, and to judge its suitability for my requirements. Well, sir, we moved on to the barn where the harrow lay, and I could see that it was indeed in fine shape. Pleased was I at the prospect of acquiring this vital implement, and we deliberated over fair compensation, soon arriving at a figure we both found satisfactory. So it was that we appeared to have a done deal, and, having devised an admiration for the hero Parker Lee's better half, I offered congratulations on her current state, for she seemed to be quite obviously to be expecting a new addition to the family. And when, I asked, is the little miracle due? I'm sorry, says she. Your little miracle, says I, for I perceive that you are far along in the family way. Are you perhaps due this month? Sir, says she, why do you presume to congratulate me, for I carry no such bundle of joy? Well, uh, well, stammers I, I just thought because, uh, because you look rather, uh, Mr. Gray, snaps Naomi Lou, are you intimating that I look fat? No, ma'am, says I, breaking out in a fine sweat. I am intimating that you appear to be expecting... I believe there is a difference, isn't there? I believe there is not, replies she, and I also believe that you are of a rude and disparaging character, and not the sort of man with whom my gallant husband would wish a bargain for his discarrow be struck. Now kindly remove yourself from the premises, and look elsewhere for your farm implement needs. Well, I don't mind telling you, old Farmer Gray was nonplussed. My character impugned and the harrow lost, I climbed back into my truck and returned home, despondent over the admonition and the innocent misunderstanding that had preceded it. But I could not help but think, if only Mrs. Parsons had paid more attention to the digits on her bathroom scale, no false congratulations would have been proffered and no offense apprehended. That is why, ladies and gentlemen, with an emphasis on the ladies, I intended to be imperative that our women's folk subscribe to a dietary regimen that will avert male discomfiture. And yes, gals, you are welcome. Play me out, Zeke. <laughs>